0: It bridged a thousand years of history and it showed the world, it shut up those liberal scholars and no longer can they say that the transmission is full of errors because it proved that it has been copied accurately over the centuries.
1: Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, as well as the host of In Grace Radio and TV.
0: Today on In Grace, we are continuing in our series called Answers. I'm Jim Scudder and today we are excited to answer good, solid Bible questions from people like you. The one that was in the quote opening quote today was talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they prove the accuracy of the transmission of scripture. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how God chose to preserve his word. How did he do that? with 40 human authors or writers over such a long time span, you know, why did God use that method versus a different method? And then other questions we're going to answer today, why did Satan tempt Jesus if Jesus couldn't sin? That's a very good question. Another person asks about the Ark of the Covenant and how we read in Chronicles that it was in David's presence, and then it was in Solomon's temple, and then where's the ark today? So we're going to talk about a lot of really interesting things today here on In Grace, and I hope that you're excited about it. Also, I'm excited that we have a new series that we're going to thank you when you give a gift of any amount to In Grace. We're going to send you Discover Hidden Israel 2, a four-part series where we filmed all over Israel in the Jewish temple, the city of David where Jerusalem actually began, and Melchizedek's altar that they found there. We're going to talk about micmash Where is micmash in the story of David and in the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer? And we're going to take you to Ancient Shechem, to Joseph's tomb and Jacob's well. Really interesting Discover Hidden Israel 2 series, either DVD or digital download. Again, for a gift of any amount, to make sure In Grace stays on the radio, we're going to send you Discover Hidden Israel 2, either DVD or digital download. And some of you say, hey, I want to give more than just a minimum amount. You know, what if I give $35. Well, if you give 35 or more, we're going to send you Discover Hidden Israel 1, 2, and 3, and you're going to love all three of these videos. If your gift is $100 or more, we're going to send you eight incredible videos all filmed in Israel, The Quest to Rebuild the Jewish Temple, Jesus' Last Day, Jesus' First Days, Copper Scroll, uh, Joshua's Conquest, and the three Discover Hidden Israel videos. So. Uh, We would love to hear from you. Remember your gifts go toward more people hearing the gospel and you'll get these great videos uh, as a thank you for your gift. The next question. Why did God choose to preserve his word the way he did? By using 40 human writers over such a long time span instead of using another method. This is an interesting question. I'm not sure what other method that we would recommend to God that he would give us the scripture, but I'm happy for the question. I truly am. I, I truly am. I think it's a good question. It gives me a chance to tell you how did we get this? And truly, this was written by about forty different people over fifteen hundred years. How could there be any continuity? Fifteen hundred years, forty different people. I mean, you have a a prophet. You have a shepherd. You have a fisherman. You have a tax collector. You have a doctor, a physician. You have all these different people from Moses to Ezra to Isaiah to Matthew to Luke to John. I mean, such a variety of backgrounds and variety of times and so many people. How could there possibly be any continuity? But there is beautiful continuity in this book. It's incredible. And this book that's been completed for a couple thousand years still Relevant today, still right today. It's incredible how th- this is a supernatural book. Just those facts, and that is the plan of redemption for mankind. It's a book of love, it's God's love story to the world. Another question that ties in with the same one How did they find the Dead Sea Scrolls, and how did they determine that this was the Word of God, and what order? to put them in, what books were in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, the story goes, a Bedouin shepherd boy was looking for his animals and threw a rock into a cave to see if the animal was in there, didn't want to climb all the way up, and instead of hurting a bleat, he heard a clank. And he knew that sheep don't clank. So he scampered up and found a clay pot, and inside the pot was a leather parchment scroll. He didn't know what he had found. He'd found a few other ones and he brought them to his uh, Bedouin tent and they were—they didn't know what it was. They just thought, hey, there's some, there's some good leather here. Let's make some sandals. They truly did. They thought about making sandals. But somebody said, you know what? I bet there's some money in this. And so they brought them into an antiquities dealer, I believe in Bethlehem, and they sat there. One professor, Jewish professor, Eliezer Sakanik, Uh, Hebrew University caught wind. He went to Bethlehem. This is all in a very turbulent time in Israel. There was all sorts of fighting, and and Israel was, was about to be reborn, but it was a very dangerous thing for him to go to Bethlehem. He went and he got these, and as he's in his home, his office, and he's unrolling one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, for the first time in thousands of years... Human eyes are looking at the scroll. He hears on the radio that the United Nations has approved the partition plan that was going to give Israel a homeland. I mean, the timing of this, folks, is just incredible. I think it is miraculous to the point where God wanted those scrolls to be found. They found at least a fragment of every Old Testament, a Hebrew scripture, except for Esther. Many people have said Isaiah 53 had to be written after Jesus. Because when you read it, it's Jesus. And I've actually read Isaiah 53 without saying where it was from at Jewish funerals. And everyone thinks I'm reading from the New Testament. Now, this scroll was dated, and all the scrolls were dated, but this one was dated carbon-14 and paleographic. Paleographic is just the study of the style and the way they would write the letters and things like that. Both dates came back positively that that great Isaiah scroll was copied before Jesus, okay, positively. So now we know that Isaiah 53 was written before Jesus was born. That's incredible. But what this did was it gave us a a thousand years, so the oldest Hebrew scroll uh, that we have right now So if you go to the Old Testament and you're reading a book of the Old Testament, you have the oldest copy. We don't have any originals of any Bible books. They're all copies. We have no originals. So people say, how do we know we have really what God said? People can accidentally make changes. People can on purpose make changes, right? How do we know this is actually what God said? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls, because this was a time of a lot of, of liberal scholars saying, you cannot trust this book. There's all sorts of errors in transmission. You cannot trust this book. The Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest scroll we have is 1,000 years old. The Dead Sea Scrolls are 2,000 years old, so we can compare our oldest to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we're going to find that there hardly are any differences. The only differences are in basically the the way that they write the letters. In other words, it it bridged 1,000 years of history, and it showed the world, it shut up those liberal scholars And no longer can they say that the transmission is full of errors because it proved that it has been copied accurately over the centuries. It is just incredible. So the Dead Sea Scrolls will give us great confidence in two major promises of the Bible. Number one, God said he would preserve his word in Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And we have God's incredible, miraculous preservation of his word. And the Dead Sea Scrolls give us confidence in that. Number two, the Bible says that God will preserve his people. God has an earthly people. He gave promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would bless the earth, bless the whole world, and they have through Jesus. They gave us these scriptures. The authors, the penmen of scripture were Jewish. But it also talks about dispersing the Jewish people the four corners of the earth, and they were, in the times of Rome after Jesus, they were dispersed, they've lived everywhere. I've gone to many places on the globe, and there's always Jewish populations in all these places. And God promised to bring them back. Look at Isaiah 11. Isaiah eleven twelve 12 says, He shall set up an ensign of the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, gather them together, the dispersed of Judah, from the four corners of the earth. And in 1947... The world, in sympathy to the Jewish people, after the atrocities of the Holocaust, said, yes, they should have a nation. And they came up with a partition plan, and they agreed to it, although it gave them a very small country. The Arabs in Palestine did not agree to it, and there was a fight, the War of Independence in 1948. Against all odds, Israel survived. And they survived other attacks in 67 and 73. And even today, there are are organizations and states that want to annihilate the country of Israel. They want to drive all the Jews into the sea. That's their stated goal. And yet they survive, and today they're about as secure as they've ever been. And it's just miraculous, folks. God will preserve his word. God will preserve his earthly people, the Jews. Incredible promises, both coming together at the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Good question, by the way. I like that one. The next question why did Satan tempt Jesus if he couldn't sin? So, right after Jesus was baptized, this is early on in his ministry, he went into the wilderness. There's actually a place in Jericho, just up from Jericho to the west, a mountain called the Mountain of Temptation. And that's the traditional spot where Jesus was tempted. In Matthew four one, it says, "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward a hungered." So now we have Jesus at one of the low points of his physical stamina. If you go forty days without eating, you will be very weak. Okay, so at the weakest point, and by the way, how was he surviving? Well. The Lord will will help you. The Lord will give you what you need in those times, okay? But at his lowest, Satan appears and tempts Jesus in three ways. First, Satan tempted Jesus, who was famished, to turn stones into bread. And what did Jesus do? He responded with Scripture. God said, man does not live by bread alone, but by the words of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3, he quotes. Uh, And then Satan takes him to the temple, and he's at the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, throw yourself down and the angels will rescue you. And Jesus didn't do that because God's people do not put God to the test. He answered with scripture, Deuteronomy 6.16. The third time Satan tempted him, he said, bow down and worship me in exchange. I will give you all the power. Jesus did not do that because Satan had no power except what God had given, and Jesus was God. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6.13 to fear the Lord and serve him only. And so why did Satan tempt Jesus? I think it's simple. I think Satan thought if he could get Jesus to do one of these temptations, then it would ruin his ability to be the Savior. I don't think Jesus could have sinned. I'm of the opinion that he is God and he cannot sin. He is holy. So Jesus, I don't think, could have sinned, but I don't know that the devil knew that. Sometimes we give the devil more power than he deserves. He is the prince and power there. He, he has God-given power, but he is created. He's not equal with God. And if you have the Spirit of God living in you and you use Scripture... To answer temptation, you're going to be victorious. That's what Jesus did. So I, I don't know that Satan realized that he couldn't fall. I think Satan probably thought he could get him and ruin the chance of salvation for all of us. Of course, Jesus never sinned, but he also gave us a model to overcome temptation ourselves. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted like we are yet without sin. He was us in every way, except he did not sin. He didn't have a sin nature. He did not sin. And he gave us a model of how to overcome temptation in James 4, 7. It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil,
1: and he will flee from you. Isn't that wonderful? Do you want to explore the rich history and fascinating mysteries of the Holy Land? From the breathtaking landscapes to the hidden gems buried beneath the surface, Discover Hidden Israel 2 will transport you to places few have ever seen. With a gift of any amount to InGrace, Jim Scudder will send you Discover Hidden Israel 2 as his heartfelt thank you. For a gift of $35 or more, you'll also receive two additional video series, Discover Hidden Israel 1 and 3. Call 800-78-GRACE or go to ingraceradio.com. If you want to take your exploration to the next level, with a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive InGrace's entire Israel bundle featuring a collection of eight captivating video series filmed in Israel. To get your hands on these incredible offers, call 800-78-GRACE, go to ingraceradio.com or write to InGrace at P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. That's 800-78-GRACE or ingraceradio.com. The next
0: question is this. David sat before the Lord praying, and the questioner wrote 1 Chronicles 17, 16, and then also see 16, 1 of 1 Chronicle. The ark sits nearby David, so the ark is present and restored, but there's no holy of holy curtain. Then 2 Chronicles 3, 14, Solomon's temple he prays, and fire comes down, glory of God fills the temple, the ark is present behind the curtain. Why? What's going on? Since David and Solomon are both praying, there is a tabernacle and a temple, no curtain and curtain. That's a really good question. So what's happening here in First Chronicles? Well, remember... God's presence was in the tabernacle from the time of the wanderings of Israel after they come out of Egypt until they came into the land. For hundreds of years, it was the tabernacle at Shiloh. And then the tabernacle moved around a few other places. The Ark of the Covenant actually had a unique history as it was uh, captured by the Philistines and they gave it back after all the horrible things that were happening. All sorts of things happened with the Ark of the Covenant. So now David becomes the king. He takes over Jerusalem and he brings the tabernacle to Jerusalem. Look at 1 Chronicles 15.1. And David made him houses in the city of David. That was where Jerusalem began. It's just south of the Temple Mount. We filmed there. And prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So we think automatically that's the tabernacle. It's not. This is a tent of David that he put over the place where he put the ark. We filmed there and we made a series called Discover Hidden Israel 2 with Scott Stripling. Scott and I walked into an area in the city of David that they know was a place of worship. And there's several different things that they found there. One of those things that they found was a place that fits the dimension of the Ark of the Covenant. So I believe, and they also dated this to the time of Hezekiah and before. They actually date this all the way back to the time of Abraham, which means Melchizedek, the king of Salem, this was Salem. And then it later became the Jebusite city of Jebus. So Jerusalem, you can hear both of those names intertwined. So where David put his, the Ark of the Covenant, where David had his little tabernacle, it wasn't the tabernacle, but he put the Ark there and he prayed there and he had a tent over it. They found an olive press here. They found all these other incredible things in a very small area. This is not open to the public. We had special access when we went in there. And he wanted to build a permanent place. He said, Lord, I have a house and I have, you know, now now he's living in a palace. I want to build you a permanent place. So could this place where he was sitting with the Ark of the Covenant be also where Melchizedek sacrificed? Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Jesus came after the order of Melchizedek. So we might have found the place where David's altar was, David's uh, Ark of the Covenant, where he placed it, and also much earlier Melchizedek's altar there as well. We don't know for sure, but we think so. But then later on, God said, no, David, you can't build my permanent house. You can't build the temple, but I'm going to let your son do it. So David got all the stuff together. He bought the place up on the Temple Mount. Now the Dome of the Rock standing there. We have an opportunity in January to film about the rebuilding of the temple. We know prophetically it will be rebuilt. And there are many people that want it rebuilt. They've already made all of the instruments and the priesthood and the robes and all of the stuff, and they're ready to build if they get that opportunity. But both the tabernacle and the temple did have a curtain, and it separated where the Ark of the Covenant was and the Holy of Holies, the smallest, most inter part of that place of worship, this curtain, this veil, separated that holy place, the Holy of Holies, from the holy place where the showbread was, and, and some of the other items of the tabernacle and the temple. So we do see a veil, but when David was there in the city of David, that was just the Ark of the Covenant. So that's why you don't see a veil there. You don't see the glory of God there. But when Solomon builds the temple, it was incredible, and the glory of God was there, um, and eventually that got destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. It was rebuilt after that by Zerubbabel, made it grand by Herod the Great and destroyed again by Rome. It's going to be rebuilt. I don't know when that will be. But I know one thing that happened. When Jesus died on the cross, he was making the final, ultimate, perfect sacrifice for our sin. All of those animal sacrifices were a picture of this one final sacrifice, Jesus dying on the cross. And when he died, the Bible says, the veil of the temple that separates us from God is torn from top to bottom. In Hebrews, it tells us in 10.19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. When Jesus died, he has broken down that wall of partition. We can come, Jew and Gentile, boldly to the throne of grace. We can go right to a holy and perfect God because we have put our trust in the perfect sacrifice, Jesus. And so all of this is incredible. It's beautiful. I hope that you know Jesus Christ as Savior. I hope you're excited about the things of God. I hope you know what you have in Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins on a cross and he rose again the third day. And he says, if you will simply believe in me, trust in me, Not a religion, not a church, not a priest, not a pastor, not prayer, not penance, but in the person and work of Jesus, you will be saved. You say, where does it say that in the Bible? Remember I said the Bible has a flow throughout, the the whole Bible, is the story of redemption, it's the story of salvation. If you boil the whole Bible down into one verse, you're going to get this one. In John 3, 16, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, not joins a church, not straightens up your life, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, which is hell, but have everlasting life. That is the the news of the scripture. That's the news that God wants us to communicate with people. God wants us to love people like he loved us and share the gospel with people. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus had no sin. He was made sin for us that we might be made, when you put your trust in him, the righteousness of God in him. And when you have his righteousness, no longer are you have to suffer the penalty of sin, which is hell. No longer are you under that bondage of sin, the power of sin. And one day you will be freed from the very presence of sin. That all happens... When you receive by faith Jesus who became sin for you and for me. When you trust in him, you have everlasting life. You're born again and you can never be unborn. If you have questions about eternal life, please contact us. You can go to our website anytime, day or night, ingraceradio.com, or call us during business hours, 1-800-78-GRACE, 1-800-78-GRACE. If it's after hours, please leave a voicemail and we'll get back to you. And if you want to make sure In Grace stays on the radio and is able to share the gospel with the world through television, radio, and streaming, uh, when you make a gift of any amount, You're you're gonna invest in grace. More people are gonna hear the gospel, and I'm gonna thank you by sending you Discover Hidden Israel, two, an exciting four-part adventure video series that uh, we got to go to places that hardly anyone else gets to go to, and we take you on these journeys under the temple, on the Temple Mount. Uh, We take you to maybe where Melchizedek's altar was, and David had the Ark of the Covenant in the City of David. We take you to. Try to find ancient Michmash where Jonathan and his armor bearer defeated the Philistines and to ancient Shechem where Joseph was buried and Jacob's well was where Jesus sat on the well. These are exciting places and I want to share them with you. When you make a gift to in grace of any amount, I'll send you as a thank you. Discover Hidden Israel too, and on Friday we're going to play part one for you. And then if your gift is $35 or more, I'm going to send you Discover Hidden Israel 1 and 3. So you get all three Discover Hidden Israel series. If your gift is $100 or more, we're going to send you eight exciting videos filmed in Israel. One of them is the quest to rebuild the Jewish temple. I'd love to hear from you today.
1: With a gift of any amount to in grace, Jim Scudder will send you Discover Hidden Israel 2 as his heartfelt thank you. For a gift of $35 or more, you'll also receive two additional video series. And with a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive InGrace's entire Israel bundle, including eight video series filmed in Israel. Call 800-78-GRACE, go to ingraceradio.com, or write to InGrace at P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. You can also write to us at In Grace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on In Grace Radio.